2: God forbid we might get to the place where at some point in the freedoms we enjoy presently in our country, we might end up being imprisoned for certain stuff. There are fines that people are paying in our country today because they refuse to do certain things the government is asking them to do. So there's going to be certain costs, certain consequences, but there's an exception to this whole idea about submitting to government. We cannot submit to any authority where it is a direct contradiction, a clear contradiction of God and His Word.
1: 14 Part 1 There is an exception to following the ways of government. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he explains that it's important to honor those that the Lord has placed into leadership. However, when government and leaders go against the Word of God, that's when you choose to follow the Lord. Pastor Gary encourages you to always follow after what God's Word says and what aligns with His Scriptures. If the government is going against what the Bible says, you stick to the Bible. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Romans, chapter 13, with today's edition of Cornerstone
2: Connection. Romans chapter 13 is divided into two sections. The first section is about government, and the second section is about love. And normally those two don't go together. Uh, There's not a lot of love for government these days, but they are two necessary things for us to understand, although distinct in the chapter, but it transitions from government to learning how to love one another sincerely. So chapter 13 here, let me read the first seven verses, and then we'll come back and talk about this first section about submitting to authorities, and in particular has to do with government authority. Verse 1 says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good." But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So we have this first section here where Paul is instructing us by inspiration of the Spirit about the role of government and, in particular, our role as Christians in relation to government. Listen, folks, Christians should be the best citizens in the United States of America. And to be the best citizens mean that we need to respect authority. We need to understand a few things about government. We need to appreciate those who are in authority, those who have been appointed or elected, who serve us. And by the way, God refers to those in government three times in this passage as servants, as God's servant. In verse 4, look again, for he is God's servant to do you good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant. And then further down in verse six, this is also why you pay taxes for the authorities are God's servants. So three times, I don't know if you've ever thought about government officials as God's servants before, but we need to get a new perspective on folks who serve in political office, and they may not even obviously be Christians. Nevertheless, whether they're Christians or not, God will use both the Christian and the non-Christian to accomplish his purposes. Look at how God used King Nebuchadnezzar. For the nation of Israel. That guy was a pagan. He wasn't a Christian. He wasn't a follower of God. He was a pagan. But God still used Nebuchadnezzar and calls Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament my servant. So God will accomplish his purposes through government. Now for you note takers, there are three institutions that God has implemented. The family, the church, and government. When you look at scripture and you see the things that God has implemented, the things that God has instituted, there are three things. The family, the church, and government. And in this section, God is telling us what we need to understand and appreciate and respect about government. So for those of you who take notes, here's the first point. God has established government. We need to get that clear because, again, it says in verse 1 that everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. And the authorities that exist have been established by God. Okay, so God has established the institution of government. That doesn't mean that I like everybody who's in political office in terms of their policies or in terms of their agenda, all right? And that certainly doesn't mean that I voted for everybody who's in public office. But it does mean that we need to respect the office. We need to respect the office, and we need to recognize that even when we disagree with authority, that we still have to respect authority, There's a lack of respect in our culture today. This generation has lost, and and it's on us, the older generation, who have not done the best job instilling respect in the younger generation to respect teachers and to respect coaches and to respect authority figures and politicians and police officers and everybody who's in a position of authority needs to be respected. That doesn't mean that every politician, there's some rotten ones, Every police officer, there's some rotten ones. Every teacher, pastors, there are rotten ones among every form of leadership or every structure or every organization. There are some rotten ones. But that doesn't mean you disparage everybody because there are a few who are rotten. And so we need to recognize that in government, as far as this is concerned, even when we don't agree with and take issue with certain policies and certain agendas, we respect the office. And we teach our kids to respect the office. And as Christians, we have to be careful about it. Now, we can be vocal about our disagreement, but there's a right way to do that, too. A robust debate is what makes for healthy interaction, but it should just be limited to that, a robust debate. And so when he says here about respecting government, we need to first recognize why, because God has established it. And when we don't respect government, we are disrespecting what God has established. So that's fundamental to understanding the passage. God has established government. The second thing we need to understand here, what Paul is saying is, we must submit to government authority. Now there's an asterisk there, and I'll come back to that in a moment, but first we need to understand that we have to submit to government authority. And part of submitting to government authority, he specifically says in verse 6, this is why you pay taxes. Part of submitting to government authority is not just obeying the laws, that's part of it, but it's also paying your taxes. Now, the reason, by the way, that Paul is addressing this, why all of a sudden is he just addressing this in the book of Romans, is because he's addressing this to the church of Rome. And remember that back in the time of the Roman Empire, that the Caesars were pretty ruthless, some of them. And... Taxation was pretty excessive. And so Paul is trying to teach Christians, but this is timeless truth, how to be a godly person in the midst of sometimes not such a godly government. And though government may not always be godly, in fact government can be pretty godless at times, that's no excuse for us becoming godless. And so he's saying here you have to submit to government authority. And part of it is paying your taxes because in Paul's day, there was a group of zealous Christians who thought and believed that, well, I'm only going to honor God. I don't really care what government thinks. And I'm only going to tithe. I'm not going to pay my taxes. And believe it or not, there are still some small circles of Christians today, people who are like, have the same disposition, It's like, I'm not paying my taxes and I'm not going to obey government. And listen, we need to understand from the Bible that taxes are a part of, and and he even says why. He says in verse 6 for the authorities are God's servant who give their full time to governing. So this is a way for them to make a living. Now, we can discuss all night long excessive taxation, all right? And we can discuss whether or not the government is a good steward of our taxes that we pay. But our approach is not, because I don't like some of the things government's doing, I'm not going to pay my taxes. I mean, you can go down that route and say, because I don't like government, I'm not going to pay my taxes. And we'll have a jail ministry for you soon, <laughs> because that's what's going to happen, okay? So pay your taxes. You know, look, none of us likes paying taxes. And again, we can debate how high taxes are and excessive, and there's taxes on everything. And, but be that as it may, we need to pay our taxes. And I just got to the point years ago where this just became my overall view. All right. I don't like paying taxes. I don't think anybody does. I consider paying taxes to be a small price to pay for living in the greatest country in the world. Okay? So it's part of my civic duty and responsibility. Again, I may not like the way the government handles the revenue they get from our taxes. I may not like tax rates. I may not, but it is a small price to pay for the privilege of living in the greatest country in the world. So, We need to pay our taxes. We need to be good citizens who submit to the government, who obey laws, who have respect for authority. And it needs to be modeled by Christians to be respecters of authority and respecters of laws. And and then we can debate and we can be involved in the political process to change the laws we don't like. What I really need folks to understand is this, that there has been a lie perpetrated upon the church, since 1954, when the Johnson Amendment was passed by Congress, okay, in case you don't know what the Johnson Amendment was, in 1954, Senator, at that time, Senator Lyndon B. Johnson, was running for re election in the U.S. Senate. Two nonprofit organizations in the state of Texas did not like him. Led by Hunt, who was one of the oil, richest oil tycoons in Texas, and Gannett, who started the News Service, it's a huge publishing company. They had two nonprofit organizations. They lobbied against Senator Johnson. Senator Johnson then introduced an amendment and attached it to a huge tax bill that Dwight Eisenhower signed into law that basically said that nonprofit organizations can no longer have any input into the political process. And honestly, Johnson did not think about how it would affect churches. It was intended to muzzle nonprofit organizations. From making a political stance because Johnson didn't like that two guys, each with non-profit organizations, were opposed to him. So the Johnson Amendment got passed in 1954. Ever since then, churches have felt like we're muzzled by this because now we can't enter into the political debate. What we need to recognize is that the First Amendment of the Constitution, the freedom of religion, was not intended to keep church out of government. It was intended to keep government out of church. And the First Amendment right of speech and assembly applies to pastors and churches like everybody else. You know the reason why, even though the Johnson Amendment was passed in 1954, that not a single church has ever been prosecuted and, and no IRS has ever won because of anything ever said or done from the pulpit of a church? It's because it's indefensible. There's now a cause that is sweeping the country that have already accumulated more than 4,000 churches called Pulpit Freedom Sunday, where there are pastors who are now on board with, we are going to intentionally say things politically to challenge the Johnson Amendment so that it will be taken to court so that the Supreme Court will throw that nasty thing out because it has now convinced people in churches to think we can never talk about politics and we can never, ever talk about politicians who are doing wonderful and godly things. Yeah, we can, but it's a, it's a right way to disagree in a decent way with policies or laws and protesting in a nice and decent and respectful way those things that are in conflict. Okay, so be not afraid of entering the political fray because we have to be a part of the process, friends. And we have to vote our values, and we have to understand how we can be as Christians involved not just in running for office, but then also in exercising our vote as the privilege, again, of living in the greatest country in the world, to do what we can to influence legislation and to influence that political arena for the cause of Christ. We cannot remain silent, and we cannot be muzzled, and we cannot be intimidated by those who want to silence the church and silence Christians, But we have to do it in a respectful way. We have to submit to government authority. And I'll get to the asterisk in a minute. Number three, he also uh, tells us here in this passage that rebellion against authority will be punished. He says there in verse four, for the one who serves in government, he or she is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So If we do rebel against government, if we rebel against authority, if we resist laws, there will be consequences. Now, sometimes it's a good law to resist because it needs to be resisted, but we still need to be prepared that there will be some kind of consequence for it. Okay, There will be some kind of consequence for it. Now, all of this to say... The asterisk is an important point to all of these points. We must, number two, submit to government authority, but here's the exception, friends, okay? Whenever authority requires us to do something that clearly violates the highest authority of God and his word, Christians are not only permitted to engage in civil disobedience, we are obligated to do so out of obedience to God. Because if... And this isn't only limited government. This applies to all kinds of earthly authority. If you are in a place, in a position, where someone in authority asks you to do something that is not just because you feel like you don't want to do it, but I'm saying here specifically because it is in direct contradiction, clear contradiction of God and his word. And you better be sure that it's in clear contradiction. If we go along with it, we're actually in disobedience to God because God is the highest and most supreme authority. As a Christian, we need to recognize that God is the highest and most supreme authority. Our objective in everything is to please God more than anyone or anything else. And so if someone asks us to do something that is in conflict or contradiction to the highest authority, which is God, then we have to disengage and we have to engage in civil disobedience. Otherwise, it's disobedience to God. Here are some specific examples in the Bible to validate what I'm talking about. First example we have is in Exodus chapter 1, Hebrew midwives. We're told by Pharaoh, king of Egypt, most powerful man on the earth at the time, practice partial birth abortion. Because the Pharaoh became intimidated by the number of Hebrews who were being born, and the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt under the wicked hand of Pharaoh. And there were too many Hebrews being born. And Pharaoh became intimidated, like the slave population is going to take over us Egyptians. And so he said to the midwives, if any Hebrew boy is born, the girls are okay, but the boys are going to be the ones that rise up in an army against us. So if any Hebrew boys are born, kill them as soon as they're born. Tells us in Exodus 1 that the midwives feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. And they refused to kill the baby boys. And God honored them for it. Because it says that God gave them children of their own because of their civil disobedience against Pharaoh. Now they didn't go around making a stink about it. They 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 were they weren't like over my dead body. You know, we're not they weren't doing any of that. They were just like, well, we're we're gonna we're gonna do what honors God, and we don't really care what the king thinks. Because it's more important to honor God. We have another example, of course, in Joshua chapter two with Rahab. She was a Gentile prostitute. The Hebrew spies go into Jericho to spy out a kind of a recon mission before the Israelites take over uh, the promised land. Rahab was among the people living in Jericho, but she had heard about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She ends up becoming a convert to Judaism, and her heart, because she loves the Lord... Because she hears about the reputation of the Lord, she hides some of the Hebrew spies who come to her house to find some secret lodging. And when the king of Jericho requires her, if she's hiding these spies to give them up, she doesn't. And she refuses to do what the king said because she knows that it will be wrong to offer these guys up to be killed. And so I'm going to protect them and I'm going to hide them with civil disobedience. You read the story of Corrie ten Boom and her family who hid Jewish people from the Nazis during the time of World War II. You know, they're practicing civil disobedience. They're hiding Jews, but they're doing what is right to preserve life, although it will in the end cost Corrie ten Boom's family their lives. And she'll be the sole survivor to come out of the Nazi concentration camps where they were all taken once they had been discovered hiding the Jews. So there are a lot of things that can be done because you want to honor God, even though it might be in conflict with governments. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we talked about this in Daniel chapter 3. They refused to bow down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar. We will not bow down and worship any idol. We only worship the Lord. They were thrown into the fiery furnace. Of course, God preserved them and protected them through it. Daniel chapter 6 also, Daniel himself is an example. he's thrown into the lion's den. Why? Because He refused to obey the order to only pray to the king instead of praying to God. And so Daniel refused the edict and he prayed to God anyway, got him thrown into a lion's den. Okay, again, there's consequences, but you got to do what is right. And and when government is in conflict with with what you know is a direct contradiction with the word of God, then you got to do what God says. And so Daniel wanted to honor God. He got thrown into a lion's den. God saved him through it, but nevertheless, he had to go through that. The apostles in Acts chapter 5, a fifth and final example for us, where they were told, do not preach about the resurrection of Christ in the public square. That's when Peter spoke up in Acts five twenty nine. He said, we must obey God rather than men. And they went back out and preached the gospel. Now again, it will cost them. They'll get thrown in jail. They're going to get beaten. They're going to experience all kinds of trials and difficulties, but They realized we got to obey God rather than men. It might cost us something. You start doing this, it might cost you something. You might lose your job over it. God forbid we might get to the place where at some point in the freedoms we enjoy presently in our country, we might end up being imprisoned for certain stuff. There are fines that people are paying in our country today because they refuse to do certain things the government is asking them to do. So there's going to be certain costs, certain consequences, but there's an exception To this whole idea about submitting to government, we cannot submit to any authority where it is a direct contradiction, a clear contradiction of God and his word. So this whole section here about government, we have to be careful that we as Christians are also the best citizens and do all we can, but then there are times where there are some objectionable things and we have to stand for Christ in those times of conflict and contradiction. So. An important section on government, respect, government, leaders. The next section he gets into here is on the subject of love. And he says in verse 8, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. By the way, uh, we talked about before that there are different words in the Greek for love. This is the highest and most supreme word in the original Greek language. It is agape. The agape love, which is the most supreme love that only comes because of our relationship with Christ. Remember, the Greeks had a few different words for love. In English, we're very limited. We have one word for love. So we say we love Fridays. We say we love ice cream. We say we love our kids. But I hope you love your kids more than you love ice cream, right? But it's because we have one word that we can't distinguish between different kinds of love. The Greeks had a a few different words they had eros which is where we get the word erotic then they have the word phileo which is brotherly love and the city of philadelphia is the city of brotherly love phileo adelphia okay and then they have the word storge which means family love and then they have agape which is the highest and most supreme love that's the word that is used here in this passage agape love and obviously it's directed to christians because only christians can exercise the highest and most supreme kind of love because of the relationship that you have with the Lord. So he says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. He says there in verse 9, the commandments do not commit adultery. Ocean, jump in and you'll find the cornerstones, your connection run towards your new life.
1: We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection, as Pastor Gary Hamrick teaches through the book of Romans. If you'd like to hear this message again, or others like it, feel free to visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app, so you can have these teachings with you on the go. That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies, and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, CornerstoneConnection.cc. Simply look under the Teachings tab. While you're there, feel free to take some time to learn about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be happy to meet you. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other information on our website. Again, that is CornerstoneConnection.cc. We hope and pray that you've been blessed by today's teaching in the book of Romans. Keep reading on your own in this book to discover many other inspiring and motivating things. Pastor Gary will continue teaching through the book of Romans on our next edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know. You're not a